0: Welcome to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer. I'm sitting in for Steven Henderson. We're going to have a great show today. We have a lot to talk about and we especially want to hear from you throughout the hour. A little bit later, we're going to talk about the roads and how we are going to fix the crumbling infrastructure here in Michigan and some events that are happening you're here in Detroit and across the state that ask for your thoughts and your opinions and ideas for how to address that crisis. We'll ha- we'll talk with uh, Chastity Pratt Dossie, a reporter with Bridge Magazine, as well as Chad Livengood with Cranes Detroit Business. So we definitely want to hear from you on that subject as well. So stick around. But first, the life expectancy in the U.S. used to be the highest on the planet. That was back in the 1960s. Now the U.S. ranks at the bottom of the list of developed countries. This is startling, not just because this decline happened relatively quickly over the course of 50 to 60 years, but also because we pay more for healthcare per capita than anywhere else. Our next guest chalks this change up to substance abuse, suicide and overall poor health. So what can we do? In his upcoming series, Chasing Life, my guest Sanjay Gupta travels the world to find out what other countries are doing right now and how we might be able to bring some of those lessons back to America. Dr. Sanjay Gupta, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, really appreciate you uh, coming on to talk about this. Uh, Talk about this, this sort of pattern we're seeing now. Third year in a row, that life expectancy in the U.S. is dropping. It's sort of shocking, I think, to a lot of people
1: yeah I mean you know when you look at uh, you know a, a society and and mortality, you know in the United States, uh, heart disease and cancer are still the biggest killers uh certainly, but what we're seeing in the the progress we've made in those areas uh has been sort of eroded by what are called these deaths of despair. This is a term that came out of a a Princeton study that basically showed that suicide deaths from suicide have gone up thirty percent over the last twenty years. Uh, drug overdoses, primarily opioids, uh, we talk about a lot. And the third one was, was liver cirrhosis, typically due to alcoholism. So, you know, drug overdoses, alcoholism, suicides, you can sort of see why they're called the deaths of despair. Mm-hmm. And I think what was striking, and, and the reason we decided to, to do a, a film for HBO about this, was that we're the only country in the developed world where this is happening, Right. You think, well, this is, you know, this is a problem due to the economy and the recessions. But other countries that have faced similar economic challenges, labor force challenges, they've not had these same debts of despair. So, uh, you know, it's, it's really pretty unique to the United States.
0: Can we talk a little bit about that sort of the height of life expectancy in the United States? It's again, another sort of shocking number there is this was back in the 1960s that this peaked. Um, I'm curious, for one thing, uh, what was life expectancy back then? And how does it compare now? And also, what happened?
1: I, I don't. I don't have the numbers right mm. in front of me. You know, the, the, there's, it's typically been in the mid to high seventies. You know, I think it's been as, as for for women in the low eighties even. And when you look at the numbers, um, you know, it's, it's not like all of a sudden war, there's a, a, a decade drop in life expectancy. Nobody is suggesting that. Mm-hmm. But what you've seen, certainly since the end of World War II, probably even earlier than that, you've seen a, a steady increase in life expectancy. Earlier on, it was because, the you know, we were better at, at decreasing childhood mortality. Later on, it was because we improved, uh, you know, the ability to, to help people who had heart disease and certain cancers. Um, and that progress continues in terms of heart disease and cancer, but I think really what it is now in terms of Driving the, the 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 decrease in life expectancy, it is these deaths of despair, and I think that that's that's a you know I mean uh, again tragic and also pretty unique problem to the United States.
0: It's interesting to me because we think of maybe the first part of the 20th century and that era in as sort of a time where we didn't talk about our feelings the way that we do now, and maybe that's just my own perception. I'm a millennial. I you know, this is my sort of right. thought about it, but. Since then, it seems like there has been this more. There's been more of an embrace of let's talk about how we're feeling. Let's let's really uh, you know recognize mental health as not just a a crisis in its own right, but also a crisis when it comes to physical health as well. Um, That that to me is sort of interesting that you um, that that now we're seeing that sort of manifest in this way that it's actually driving life expectancy downward.
1: Well, you know, I, th- I think the idea that people are, are talking about these issues and and uh, things that were previously not discussed or even stigmatized are more in the forefront now, I think is is generally a good thing, right? I mean, I think one of the issues you look at, you know, the, the question I think that, that immediately came to our minds was, well, why the United States and not these other places, right? What, what's what's the difference? And I think the idea that that despite the fact that we are more, Uh, open to talking about some of these issues regarding toxic stress and and what other things might be driving the deaths of despair. We we're still living in a society here in the United States that is, you know, sort of really one of the one of the cardinal signs compared to other countries is social isolation. It's loneliness. It's uh, sometimes feeling of, of lack of support, and I know those sound like squishy terms, Jake. But but the reality is, if you look at other countries, against similar countries, same economic challenges, same labor force, all the things that you'd immediately think, well, that's why, you know, life expectancy is dropping. Uh, they have the same challenges. What do they have in, that that's protecting them? And what you find is it's a it's a real strategic investment uh, in in social support and social cohesion. And uh, you know, I'm saying that as a Subspecialist in medicines. So I don't want it to sound too, too uh, squishy, you know, or too ill-defined, but I think that the idea that, that when you have really, really organized social structure, it, people feel like they are being cared for, supported, they have safety nets, that it makes a difference not just in terms of their physical health, but their emotional and mental health as well, because I think these deaths of despair are driven by mental health much more so than even physical health.
0: Yeah, uh, Dr. Sanjay Gupta is my guest. I'm Jake Neer, sitting in for Stephen Henderson today on Detroit Today. Sanjay Gupta is the multiple Emmy award winning chief medical correspondent for CNN. Gupta is also a practicing neurosurgeon who attended the University of Michigan, right here, of course, Hello. in Southeast Michigan. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so and we we're talking about uh, a couple of things that that uh, Dr. Gupta has been working on. One is uh, his CNN original series, Chasing Life with Dr. Sanjay Gupta. It's debuting Saturday, April thirteenth at nine p.m. Uh, this six-part docu-series takes Gupta to Japan, India, Bolivia, Norway. Italy and Turkey to explore the unusual traditions and modern practices that constitute a healthy and meaningful life in those countries. And right now you know we'll talk a little bit more about that series uh, Dr. Gupta but, but we also want to uh, get some callers in here to talk about how they're dealing with some of these things. Uh you know, how are you dealing with stress in your life? How do you sort of view that as part of your own health and your own self-care? What about the the ways that you take care of your physical well-being, whether it's regular doctor's visits or meditation, exercise? Do you follow a particular diet that has helped you? Is health a matter of many different lifestyle choices for you? And how do you balance it all in your balance your uh, life when it comes to Stress when it comes to processed food and uh, that sort of and the just the culture of America. Please call us and let us know how you're dealing with these things in your own life. Uh, the number, of course, is 313 577 1019. Again, that's 313 577 1019. Now, Dr. Gupta, I want to talk. I, I, I spoke with uh, an intern of ours, actually, who's just fresh uh, out of high school, a, a freshman in, uh, in college at U of M, actually. And we were talking about. Life for teenagers, specifically when it comes to stress and dealing with that, the the way that that sort of is so intense in our younger years when we're teenagers, I mean, you wake up super early in the morning, you go to school, you're expected to uh, learn You know, all of the content that you're and all the information that you're delivered at school. Then you have extracurriculars afterwards that you feel like you have to attend to uh, get better prospects in college and through life and make uh, friends, even. And then you do, after that, you do homework all night. And then, you know, what time do you have for socializing? So many teenagers do that well into the early mornings of the night. And then you have to wake up early and do it all over again, and you're expected to perform at this very high level and have great outcomes. Uh, I'm curious about that sort of, again, um, it's the instilling of that in, uh, in teenagers, people who, whose brains are just developing, uh, you know, in such an intense way at that age.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I, you know, I have three uh, kids, you know, all of them seem to be teenagers, one is already a teenager, so I'm, I'm living what you're talking about, Jake, <laughs> I think. Um, well, here's one thing I would say, and this—I don't want this to be overly simplifying it—but you know, when people think about stress, um, stress itself is not the enemy. You know, stress hmm. is something we need. Stress it's
0: there for a reason, to, right? It's
1: there for a reason. It helps us survive and thrive. Uh, and, and all animals, all all creatures really have, you know, stress response to, to certain threats and things like that. What has happened, and this gets back to your question even more so about teenagers, uh, is it, 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 what happens, what the problem is, is when the stress never stops, when it's relentless. And I think what we realize is that if, you know, humans, oftentimes they would have a lot of stress when they needed it, if they were getting chased or, you know, they were at risk of being eaten or attacked, And then when they weren't in those situations, their stress levels would drop to really low levels. Um, We don't get that anymore. Our stress levels are always high, and I do worry about with teenagers specifically because of the nature of the – the digital world in which they live uh, being surrounded by devices um they don't really get to ever turn it off mm-hmm. uh and I, so uh, you know as a as a parent and, and the strategies that you use and the things that you advise your kids it's going to vary uh, because no kid is the same but the, that's the sort of things that you need to 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 think about is that how do you actually give breaks from the stress to your to your child uh, and it's not necessarily just letting them go plan a device for an hour. How do, you, how do you give true breaks and true relief from that relentless stress, even for 10 to 15 minutes uh, a, a day? You know, we're not talking about having to change your whole world, turn it upside down on its head, but how do you give those those sorts of breaks periodically to your child? That's important. It could be meditation. could be yoga. It could be, you know, being outside in nature, whatever it might be. I would avoid the devices for that period of time. But, stress is not the enemy. It's the relentless stress. Make sure you figure out the right ways to give your kids breaks from
0: Mm. it. Now, moving up a generation, I saw an article recently that said that millennials are what people are calling the therapy generation. Uh, I'm curious about uh, your thoughts about the idea of this stigma around therapy basically dissipating and how this might be changing the mindset around mental health uh, and how that could influence the quality of life in future generations.
1: but really, around anything is 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 you know anything like this is is obviously i think a a bad idea because anytime you' anytime you're closing the conversation, not allowing people to express themselves, causing people to to suffer more in silence uh that that that's that's not going to help the situation. I think that the, the idea that uh, people are more likely to talk about it and share with others is always going to be an important uh, point. But one of the things, you know, I, and I've learned, I think, and, and, and grown a little bit myself in this regard, is that, you know, we, we, we certainly should take care of the symptoms of the problem. I mean, that's what happens in, in hospitals. You know, somebody comes in with pain, you want to treat the pain. But But I think it takes the extra step to really dig deeper and figure out what the root cause of the problem is in the first place it's you know so why do we see an increase in the amount of people who who are uh, self describing as having some sort of mental illness or or needing help or having higher levels of pain than in generations past. Why is that happening? Why does the United States have the highest perceived pain of people anywhere in the world? Why do we take eighty to ninety percent of the world's pain medications? We're not even five percent of the world's population and we're taking eighty to ninety percent of some of these classes of pain medications. Why why is that happening? I think to say, hey look, you don't have pain, stop it, stop taking the medications, get over it, that's not the right answer. People say they have pain, they probably have pain. But why, for the same exact thing that happens to one person, you know, versus another person, you have an operation or something, why does one person say that's a 10 out of 10 pain and the other person say it's a 2 out of 10 pain? It's very subjective, but I think it's a, it's a metaphor for, I think, what, what's happening here. Mm-hmm. So it's not just treating the symptoms. I think we've got to search for the root cause.
0: Let's get to some calls here. The number on the lines is 313-577-1019. I want to hear from Greg in Rochester Hills. Greg, hi, welcome to Detroit Today.
2: Yes, hello. I just wanted to make a quick comment about uh, addiction and things like that. And I've learned in the past from uh, various Alcoholics Anonymous and places, it's not necessarily when things are going bad that people turn to things. Uh, They always have a saying that when things are going good, that's when you really need to watch out for, uh, boy, things are great in my life,
1: I think I'm okay, and they go ahead and... uh,
2: Start using or abusing
1: things. So, just that comment, real quick. Thank you. Mm.
0: Thank you, Greg. I appreciate that. Uh, Dr. Gupta, Gupta, what what would you like to? uh, How do you react to that?
1: No, it's true. I mean, no one should be minimizing uh, addiction. You know, there are people who, who, uh, when they're addicted to substances, we now know uh, better than ever what happens in the brain and why that can become a a sort of cycle uh, for people. One of the things I found fascinating was. When you talk about the, the area of the brain known as the prefrontal cortex being affected by substances, uh, that's an area of the brain responsible for a lot of things, your judgment, your executive function. But in many ways, it's also responsible for your ability to perceive harm, right? Mm-hmm. You look at two things, uh, you know, or two people look at the same thing. They say one person says, that's not that risky. And the other person says, you know what, I think that's pretty risky. I don't want to do it. Um, why do people have different perceptions of harm, and a lot of times it 's because once you start taking these substances, that part of your brain changes, and then you continue to take substances because you don 't perceive it as harmful as the next person and that 's you know, a very difficult cycle to break so you know addiction to to you know one of these deaths of despair, regardless of the reason someone started often is because of Drug overdoses, accidental, uh, and and opioids most commonly, but this is now the number one cause of unintentional death in America today. Mm. So you know that I think that's why people are really paying attention to it.
0: Sure, I want to get to two callers right now who I think have an interesting and similar thought on where we go with this conversation. Uh, Fred in West Bloomfield, welcome to Detroit today.
2: Thank you. Glad to have this conversation. I'm just thinking about this. uh, last week over here with my wife in a conversation. I would think that we, there's a number of things that are affecting this country. If you look at uh, some of the other countries and how they deal with, the, with their infrastructure as far as uh, their stress, uh, uh, Switzerland, uh, with, uh, with the way doctors are treated over there, uh, do they have the doctors work in the fields and it's more relaxed? The, 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 the one of the parents are usually very well educated but doing the domestic necessities and, and liking it and liking it. So the infrastructure and the way our economy is geared it's it's in a fast pace, but it to, to substitute uh, relaxation hey let's mm. let's start uh, using marijuana. So there's <laughs> the number one thing. What is our government trying to do? Well, thank you. you know, f- I
0: yeah, could... Fred, I, I really appreciate that comment. And before we react to that, uh, Dr. Gupta, I want to get to Adele in Dearborn. Adele, what would you like to say today? Hi, thanks for having me. Um, so you talk about America being uh, seeming like an anomaly for how much pain people seem to be in compared to other developed countries, how much social isolation we experience and you know that's inextric- inextricably related to what our society and government prioritizes hmm. which is the needs of business over people and yeah. the alienation and loneliness it's not an anomaly but it's a built-in feature of that of our capitalist economic system that forces regular people to devote Mostly, their more and more their entire lives to work. Mm. Adele, I really appreciate that comment. Thank you so much for for calling, uh, Dr. Gupta. I think both Fred and Adele uh, they they obviously have their own sort of ideas of how to address this. But I'm curious how you see uh, public policy playing a role in this, as opposed to sort of the decisions that we make individually.
1: Yeah, I I think that they're both made really really good points. And you know, one of the things that I tried to do was. Again, to look at other countries uh, that are similar countries to the United States and say, okay, well, what what what, what, are, what are they doing right? What can we possibly learn from them? And I think Fred and Adele both sort of, you know, are ma- are making the points that we found as well. I mean, first of all, let me let me preface by saying this isn't about. Capitalism versus socialism this isn't a uh, you know a a political sort of thing in, in that regard because many of the countries that are having great success with these issues are are capitalist countries, mm-hmm. but they are also countries that oftentimes um, in in some definable way have invested in the social safety net, the social fabric so you know most obvious sort of example of that would be universal health care, for example what does universal health care do for a society? Um, you know, it, it uh, certainly, you know, people will all have access to health care. But I think what you find as well is that the emotional sort of feeling of support that people have uh, when they feel like they're going to be cared for in some way uh, if they get sick or if they just want to optimize their health, whatever it may be, um, is, is there. Uh, there is a there is a psychological an emotional benefit to that as well that, you know, I think uh, felt very subjective in the past, but now you're starting to see more objective data around that. Why, is, why are these countries, like Fred was talking about, Scandinavian countries, mm-hmm. uh, some of the happiest countries in the world? Sure, they're healthy, but they're also happy. Now, now people think, well, you know, we're just going to measure health. Health is the primary outcome measure. But who wants to live a a long life that's unhappy, right? I mean, basic, basic, I think belief among most people. I want to live a happy and healthy life. And 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 when you look at places that invest in the social safety net, Uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be universal health care, that's just an example, but but whatever it may be, when people feel like they're supported, they're living in a community where their neighbors and their community members and society as a whole care about them, it makes a difference. I mean, maybe that goes without saying. Maybe I'm stating the obvious here. But as Adele was saying, if you live in a place where you feel like that's not the case, where you feel like you're constantly being bombarded with glaring income inequality, where, you know, it's income inequality is, is as it turns out in these other societies, not a good thing. It's not a good thing for the have-nots, but it's also not a good thing for the haves, hmm. because it creates a more inherently unstable society. And again, that's not a capitalist versus socialist argument. It's just when you have blatant glaring in income inequality and in the United States among the developed countries has some of the highest income inequality in the world uh you know you can see the impact that it makes on a society overall and mm. and these are some of the Going back to the root causes of the problem, we can continue to treat the symptoms. we can you know make it harder for people to to get medications that they may cause may cause an overdose. We can create more more programs around suicide counseling. All these are important things, but the root cause of the problem, like any doctor should uh, unless you would, unless you really identify and 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 help treat that. And you worry that these problems will keep coming back over and over again.
0: Yeah, and before I let you go, I wanted to make sure we shout out two different projects that you have done recently and that are about to come out that touch on these subjects we're talking about today. You Last month, you had a HBO documentary come out called One Nation Under Stress, in which you uh, try to uncover the root causes of why American life expectancy is falling and is now shorter than, it all, than in all other major developed countries. And also, uh, right along the lines of what we're talking about right now, on Saturday, April 13th, At 9 p.m., you are going to debut a CNN original series called Chasing Life with Dr. Sanjay Gupta. It's a six-part docuseries that takes you to Japan, India, Bolivia, Norway, Italy, and Turkey to explore the unusual traditions and modern practices that constitute a healthy and meaningful life. And just in the uh, minute that we have left, Dr. Gupta, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about Chasing Life a little bit.
1: It was uh, a—Chasing Life was a a real uh, amazing experience for me, you know, just— based on this belief that, look, there, there are places around the world uh, where clearly people are living uh, happier and healthier lives. Um, I think sometimes we feel in this country that if it's not made in America, quote-unquote, that it may not have the same value or it has little or no value. And, and you know, when you, when you go to these other countries and you learn some of their traditions, some of their practice, some of what makes them uh, live this, this happy, healthy life, some of those things are worth hearing about. Uh, I immersed myself in some of these things, tried to figure out if they were true, they had merit, and now I get to bring those stories you know, back to back to our viewers. So very, very excited about that. I think this is, mm. in some ways, the project I was designed to do mm. uh, in my life.
0: Yeah, well, Chasing Life, again, it uh, debuts Saturday, April 13th at 9 p.m. on CNN. Dr. Sanjay Gupta, Emmy Award-winning Chief Medical Correspondent for CNN, thank you so much for joining us here on Detroit Today.
1: Thanks for having me, Jake. Appreciate it. Great.
0: And coming up, speaking of things causing stress in our lives, we'll talk about the crumbling roads and bridges here in Michigan and some events coming up asking for your ideas for ways to fix them. And don't forget, if you miss any of today's conversation, you can go to the Detroit Pod, Detroit, Detroit, Today podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your uh, podcasts. Thank you very much.